everyone. It is Sunday, August 18th, 2019, and you're listening to an episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Eisleck, and I'm here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever. On this week's episode, which is unfortunately an off-cadence episode, we'll talk a little bit about uh, just some weird uh, car stories that I think are somewhat interesting to talk about, uh, specifically some thoughts about the new Cadillac XT6 in reference to the outgoing Escalade, uh, where we're kind of at for the brand uh, with their large format luxury vehicles. Uh, A small note on some of the new reviews that are coming out on the updated 2020 Fiat 500X, as well as some shopping updates for me and my significant other as we're getting ready to replace her 2015 uh, Jeep Renegade with some kind of used Toyota. But before we get to all of that, a reminder that, uh, well, as much as we used to post these episodes two times a week, which I'd like to get back to at some point, uh, we do post them for free in a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more. So if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe. If you could give us a rating, if they ask for that on those platforms, it'd be greatly appreciated. And if you do like what you hear, sharing with your friends is always a good thing as well. So, after the bump, some talk about some Cadillacs and some Fiats, and maybe just one little note about my favorite car on sale today uh, in just a moment. So, to kick things off with some of the more news-oriented stuff, a lot of different takes going up on the internet about the Cadillac XT6. And, you know, I started seeing them pop up in person here in Michigan. Uh, the local Cadillac dealer I th- dealer had about four of them on the lot the other day when I went by. Uh, and seen a couple in person, you know, probably not going to get to drive one anytime soon. But I have to say I'm pretty impressed with the vehicle. Uh, my initial reaction to the XT6 was not particularly great. Number one, I think the name is one of the worst naming schemes in the automotive industry. It doesn't make a lot of sense, especially when you throw the XT6 400 badge on the back, which is just downright ridiculous. Uh, but overall, you know, the XT6, I think initially just kind of came off as this cheap grab at getting crossover sales, being that graduation point from uh, a Buick Enclave or a Chevy Traverse. And in the end, I think, you know, my opinion has been colored, I guess, maybe a little bit more fully uh, by a review that was done by uh, the guys at the Straight Pipes. Uh, Urine Jacob had a 2019 Escalade Sport uh, this week for one of their videos. And it was really interesting thinking about how aged the Escalade is. It's been probably six years since I last drove an Escalade. And, you know, back then it seemed brand new. It was fancy. It was great. It was wonderful. Uh, But today it's just not enough for a nearly $100,000 vehicle here in the United States. And when you consider that the X-T6 is about $40,000 less than that uh, for a pretty well-equipped model, uh, it really kind of sparks the idea that maybe the X-T6 should have been the Escalade. And I don't know if there was never ever a major argument being made by Cadillac that that needed to be as such. Uh, But I really feel like, you know... For anybody who has an Escalade right now, is sick of paying for the fuel economy, is sick of dealing with the Q infotainment system, is sick of dealing with all of the bullshit that comes with 
well, a body-on-frame truck that just has some very nice luxury duds in certain respects, uh, the X-T6 makes perfect sense. Uh, it's based on the same chassis as the Chevy Traverse and the Buick Enclave. It is the larger variant of the chassis uh, that the Traverse is, so this thing is Escalade-sized in terms of length. Um, not quite in height, but uh, definitely a pretty capable body format through and through. Uh, the X-T6 is equipped with a 3.6-liter V6, and I think it's an 8-speed automatic. Uh, pretty common GM uh, bits and bobs underneath. The only trick thing that the X-T6 has compared to any of the other chassis mates that it has uh, is that on the sport version of the X-T6, you can get this... Uh, trick differential setup on the rear axle that can send power uh, side to side and it can react a little bit more uh, sufficiently to sporty intentions, weather intentions uh, compared to the standard luxury model. But both of those vehicles, which is a weird note or note to point out, uh, primarily only drive in front-wheel drive configurations. It's really only in extreme circumstances that it ever engages the rear axle, and that reminds me a lot of what Honda, Acura, uh, Toyota, Lexus have been doing for a long time, and I think it's starting to rub off on Cadillac in a way that I think makes sense. You know, you can make all these arguments about how great your all-wheel drive system is, and arguably Honda and Acura have a very good one, uh, most people just don't need it, which is usually what Toyota and Lexus kind of run into. But uh, I think overall, it really comes down to packaging and pricing. You know, for the X-T6, it's expensive. It's definitely a clear step up above the Buick Enclave. Um, it, you know, it, it definitely seems to hit the right notes that it needs to hit right now in the market that we're in in 2019. Uh, the people on Motor Week were making an argument that they think that the X-T6 is a stopgap vehicle, uh, that basically this thing is going to exist for two to five years at most, and then the Escalade will come in, be a body-on-frame vehicle or something like that, or something will slot in slightly above it and uh, ultimately end up replacing the vehicle. There's really a lot kind of going on right now at GM where we don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, the new pickup truck platform hasn't exactly set the world on fire. Uh, the new pickup trucks have had a lot of sales issues. Uh, I would have thought by now we would have seen the new Tahoe, the new Yukon, and the new Escalade, and that has not happened yet. Uh, so maybe there is some weight to the X-T6 being a new flagship for Cadillac, but man, what... What a horrible name to have as a flagship vehicle in your lineup. Uh, but, I mean, it really, really demonstrates the progress that's been made at GM in the past few years to see the quality, the craftsmanship in relative terms, uh, the big step up in infotainment on the X-T6 compared to the outgoing Escalade. Uh, it really is a night and day difference. Again, that being said... For your money, if you're about to go blow 60 grand or so on a new crossover SUV type thing, uh, I think you'd be silly not to go for an MDX. The only holdback on the MDX for me is that a new MDX is coming. Uh, that is definitely going to probably be the better choice in that segment. You know, the Volvo XC90 is always a good choice as well. Arguably a good bit more premium than an XT6, but yeah, it's, it's one of those vehicles that just... I don't know, it's, it's on that tipping point of being actually good in my brain, but I just can't quite get there 
yet emotionally. So we'll see how all that turns out and then the coming months and years uh, as the new SUVs begin to deploy. Now, one other bit of news, in air quotes this week, since this is an extremely slow news week for automotive news, uh, is that the 2020 Fiat 500X uh, previews have been done, and really the main thing I want to focus in on is just the difference the powertrain makes uh, with this particular platform. Uh, we have had a 2015 Jeep Renegade uh, in our family, well, since 2015. It's been a pretty reliable vehicle. You know, it's very dependable in wintry conditions. The boxy shape is great. We looked at a Fiat 500X at one point, and we came away... Uh, I don't want to say disappointed, but a little put off because the Fiat just didn't have it together when it came to the powertrain uh, setup, things like that. Uh, it just couldn't make, uh, it couldn't stick the landing when it came to shifting and power delivery and all that stuff, and the Jeep just felt much, much nicer overall. Uh, where I think this new Fiat 500X kind of gets the idea correct is that they're just getting rid of the 2.4 liter engine completely. They've got rid of the 1.6 liter as an option, which is admittedly a little bit disappointing, but what they have rolled out is a new 1.3 liter turbocharged engine. Uh, produces, I think it's like four less horsepower, so it's like 180 horsepower, uh, but it's got a much fatter torque curve. Uh, I think it's like close to 180 pound-feet, and it kicks on at like just over 2,000 RPMs instead of something closer to like 5,000 with the old outgoing Tiger Shark 2.4 liter. And apparently it is enough power delivery to really make a significant difference in making the car feel more capable at speed, uh, especially when accelerating from a stop. Now, you are still saddled with the 9-speed automatic transmission, which is arguably one of the worst, if not the worst, automatic transmission on sale in the market today. As much as I say that we didn't have problems with our unit and our Jeep, uh, it's been nothing but complaints for a lot of people who have it in Acuras, Hondas, uh, Land Rovers, Jeeps, Fiats, everything. It's just not a good piece of technology, and it's kind of ruining a car that could be pretty good uh, with a transmission that just can't do the job. Now, the big question, I think, is also with the Fiat 500X is who the hell are they selling this thing to, especially here in the United States? Uh, I know in many parts of the world they do cross-sell it with the Jeep Renegade, and uh, Fiat's big step, maybe in a better direction, has been that they got rid of the front-wheel drive option here in the U.S. Uh, it is all-wheel drive only for 2020 going forward. They only offer the automatic, they only offer the turbocharged engine, uh, and they have made a good bit more equipment standard, uh, but that has bumped up the price presumably a fair bit. It is making the Fiat 500X the more premium option uh, between it and the Renegade, which I think is a smart choice. But there really haven't been any significant improvements in terms of interior quality, refinement, uh, drivability, overall technology. Uh, it's just enough to kind of dot a couple of I's, cross a couple of T's, and then we're good to go. I, I I just, eh, you know, I don't know. I think Fiat really needs to kind of get down and dirty and figure out what they're doing here in the United States, uh, what they need to have to be successful. Um, I think the argument that I would like to make at this point in 2019, 
as we're apparently staring down the barrel of a pretty big economic uh, crisis down the line would be that Fiat needs to find some kind of partner to rebadge another vehicle and sell it as a cheap four-door sedan, uh, whether it's a compact or a mid-sized sedan uh, with a Fiat badge on it. Um, you know, they, there's been talk for a while that Fiat was going to merge with a French company and maybe that would be something on down the line. That's not fast enough. Uh, I think what really needs to happen at this point is Fiat needs to go, hey, Mazda, hey, you know, Toyota, hey, whomever they've got uh, on the hook. Uh, let's buy some Corollas, let's buy some Civics, let's buy some whatever. Uh, we're going to put some fancy bodywork on it and a Fiat badge on the on the dashboard and we're going to sell this car for $22,000 or less. And that's really, I think, where the money's going to be at in the next year or two. And with Fiat Chrysler on the whole, not having cars in that price range because right now the cheapest car in their lineup is the Fiat 500 and that is a rattle box that... I wouldn't really recommend to anybody looking for basic transportation. Uh, the next step up is the Fiat 500L, which also, not a great car. So you've got the 500X as your base trim model, and that just isn't really where the market needs to be. And I don't know who's counting the beans, I don't know who's making the decisions, uh, but I really feel like FCA is going to be in a lot of trouble. And as much as the new Fiat 500X is a step in the right direction for the 500X lineup, uh, it definitely leaves open a lot of questions about things that need to be done at Fiat in the next couple of years. Last up, I wanted to talk about, well, really shortly, I guess. I want to talk about one of my favorite cars that's on sale right now. I think it is probably, unquestionably, maybe the best car sold anywhere in the world. I've talked about it at length on this podcast in different levels or whatever, but they've made the car even better. Uh, of course, I'm talking about the Lexus LC500. Uh, if you don't know what the Lexus LC500 is, it is a personal luxury GT car. Uh, it is a 2 plus 2 seating configuration. Probably couldn't seat two adults in the back very easily, probably barely even children. Uh, but it is one of the most stunningly gorgeous vehicles that you will see in person. Uh, it is one of the most comfortable seats I have ever sat in in my life. The craftsmanship of these cars are far exceeding vehicles that probably cost two to three times more. Uh, and the good news is, because it's all Toyota running gear underneath, nothing will ever go wrong with the car. Uh, these things are about as perfect as perfect can get. As much as I like the, I think it's Midnight Blue is the color. I don't know if that's the full name, but it's like this kind of grayish blue color uh, that they offer, uh, contrasted with the uh, caramel color interior. Or, <laughs> interior. Uh, it is a, a wonderful execution of a vehicle uh, through and through, something that I dearly wish I had enough money to even live with for a day. Um, Yes. Well, anyway, uh, Lexus has gone about giving it a special edition color for 2020. Um, I think I'm going to pronounce the name wrong. If I remember correctly, it's a Nero Green. Uh, it is a really subtle kind of almost like pearled military green, if that makes sense. Uh, and contrasted with the chrome accents on the grille, on the door handles, on the back of the car, uh, with an appropriately colored interior, uh, this is without a doubt the best looking car on sale. Like, I just, 
I know that there's some Aston Martins out there that look really great. I know that there's some, you know, BMW, well, I shouldn't say BMWs. Really just Aston Martins are really the only thing that maybe top this Lexus in any capacity. Uh, this car is just without a doubt the best thing you can buy for about a hundred grand. And only, uh, the fact that they're only making a hundred of these cars in this green color is an extreme disappointment. It's a great opportunity for collectors uh, to buy into, I think. Uh, if you are into speculative buying for luxury vehicles here in 2019, uh, I think this car is really about the tops that you're gonna get uh, for the foreseeable future uh but also the great thing about these things is you know you can drive them and if you really don't want to spend a lot of money on gas you're not super worried about the performance uh they make a hybrid version that's just as great too uh it's it reminds me a lot this is going to sound like a really weird comparison to draw i remember years and years and years ago i was watching mtv cribs and i think they were at spike jones's house and spike jones was talking about how he had a Lotus Esprit V8, and he was talking about how it's the perfect commuter car for him because of the size, because of the performance, uh, because it has enough space in the interior for him to be able to do some work and things like that. And I really feel like if Spike Jones was buying a car like that today, he would be buying the LC500. It just is, mm, it's so good. It's such a good car. I just, I wish I knew somebody who had one so I could go drive it. It is like, probably top of the food chain right now for me in terms of cars that I wish I could go touch and drive tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's enough about the LC500. Uh, check it out if you haven't seen the images online. Uh, it, the car is just absolutely sublime. But uh, after the bump, we're going to talk a bit about some used car shopping, so bear with me uh, right after the music. So as promised from up at the top of the show, kind of a little bit of an update on where we're at with car shopping for my SO replacing the 2015 Jeep Renegade that we have. Uh, the Jeep Renegade did get turned in for its lease. Uh, it is done. It is over. Uh, I think both of us are kind of relieved that it's all been taken care of. Uh, but at the same time, I think the two of us are also kind of like, whoa, having a single car household isn't the easiest thing. Uh, you know, there are two or three days out of the week where we work two blocks apart, and there are other days of the week where I'm 35 miles away, and that's not the most convenient work schedule to have between the two of us at this point. But nevertheless, uh, we are shopping, and we did talk about our Prius shopping experiences in a previous episode, and as much as we did love the Priuses, as much as we did like the idea of the more fuel economy, the, the greater amount of, you know, I guess, eco-conscious choices that you can make in that particular thing. Uh, the opportunities for high cost repairs is kind of steering us away at this point. And with the really crazy high prices that Priuses and Prius Cs are continuing to command on the used car market in really even not so great condition, uh, we're just going to kind of sit that battle out unless something comes across our plate that is uh, really exactly what we want. So Toyota Corollas have become the main shopping point, and I think I'm really focusing in, I think I mentioned this before, on the Toyota brand simply because I don't want to get into a vehicle for her that is 
any more difficult to maintain than it needs to be, that's any more difficult to operate than it needs to be, that's any more difficult to sell at the end of whenever we decide to sell it uh, than it needs to be. And I think a Toyota Corolla really kind of hits that nail on the head uh, in the way that I think both of us just kind of need it to be right now. So we've driven a few Corollas, uh, older and newer, and uh, kind of just touch on a few things that we've noticed as of late. Uh, one of the first vehicles that we drove was a 2010 Corolla LE. Uh, this particular car had been locally owned, if I remember correctly, uh, and it had only 34,000 miles on it. Uh, the car was pretty much in pristine condition, had brand new tires, uh, full detailing, it was great. The only blemish on the car that we could find uh, was that there was a tear in the headliner in the back of the car, which is in a really weird spot. Um, we were trying to figure out in our heads how a tear like that would happen, and we never could quite place it. It was just a very strange place to have a headliner tear, but beggars not being choosers, uh, it, it really just kind of came off as, you know, something where just, eh, we could fix it whenever we need to fix it. Uh, but, you know, my SO did drive the car, and she remarked that she liked the idea that it was a nice balance between the lightweight, funky nature of the Prius C that maybe was a little too small for some of her jaunts that she would be going on versus the larger Prius where the larger Prius is maybe a little too big uh, felt a little too heavy a little too solid uh, for what she would want day to day but she mentioned that there wasn't really the kind of emotional connection that she wanted with the car uh, the particular vehicle was kind of this dour gray color and it had this uh, not quite tan but more gray interior uh, and I have these pinstripes on the outside that uh, my SO just hated. Uh, she said that it looked like a grandma's car, and, you know, it had been a grandma's car at some point. And really, I think where it kind of came down to is that uh, as you're trying to save money, as you're trying to make a responsible choice, as you're trying to, you know, do the right thing, grandma's cars might be the better option. Uh, but we did get to talking about, you know, service histories and maintenance and all that kind of stuff, and whether or not on a Corolla it's better to get one that has almost no miles, even though it is a much older vehicle, versus a lot of miles, and it is a slightly newer vehicle. Because the general agreement among everyone, and I think that includes literally everyone, is that a Corolla that's been properly maintained will go a quarter million miles before anything ridiculously major ends up happening to it. And this particular one, having 34,000 miles and being the better part of 10 years old, uh, actually almost, whoa, whew, that's kind of scary to think about, uh, being, you know, near enough 10 years old, uh, that car really hasn't traveled much. It sat a lot. It sat a lot, a lot. And does that spark some kind of problem, some kind of issue on down the road with wheel bearings, with the transmission, with whatever else? It's hard to say. You're never really going to know. And, you know, we went back and forth on it. The other problem was that this particular 2010 model, uh, the dealer was trying to charge nearly $12,000 for it. And that's kind of highway robbery, I would say, based on all of the research I've done. Um, that's pretty wild, to say the least. Um, but, you know, having driven it, her not really feeling super comfortable with the idea of that car, not really sparking any emotional interest, uh, it, 
it, it kind of was a no-go, I guess to say. Uh, we decided to pass on, and the car eventually did sell uh, within the past uh, day or two, uh, about a week after we had driven it, and that's 100% okay. Uh, we have been kind of batting around the ideas of slightly newer Corollas. Uh, I believe it was 2013 is when they had a slight visual upgrade. It's maybe my least favorite visual upgrade that the Corolla ever got, um, but uh, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's always kind of weird, I guess, going back to these cars at this point going, wow, I can see a lot of what Toyota had addressed from parts and issues and design features from older Toyotas that I had had that all were from the mid to late 90s to newer Toyotas that I've driven and liked quite a bit uh, as kind of the evolution of this middle step. And these middle-aged Corollas are, you know, great cars, you know, it, but they've got gigantic HVAC controls with huge numbers printed on them. Uh, they've got big stereos with big knobs and big buttons uh, so you can use them easily. And it's really just kind of a sign of where Toyota was at that point, really selling cars to a much older demographic. Going to the more middle-aged ones or the, the newer, slightly newer versions, uh, the things, I guess, get a little bit better. Um, they're still, you know, a little dodgy here and there, but uh, our stodgy, I guess would be the word. Uh, and, eh, you know, uh, we did find some more recent Corolla S's that uh, have sparked some interest between the two of us. Uh, but one is about 45 minutes away, the other one's here in town, and it's really overpriced. So we'll both go take a look at it at some point in the next week or so. Um, I'm hoping the S maybe sparks a little bit more of that uh, emotional connection that uh, she's been looking for compared to, say, a Prius C. But that could all be wishful thinking because really a Corolla S is just a visual upgrade uh, compared to the standard Corollas. One thing we did start chasing after, however, is more recent ones, uh, the 2014 to 2016 models. Uh, some of those with, I'm going to use the term, a healthy number of miles can be had for pretty reasonable prices. And they're pretty comparable, at least in terms of price to older Corollas with much less miles. Again, that balance of what's better, a really well-maintained newer one with lots of miles versus a pretty well-maintained older one with almost no miles uh, really kind of goes back and forth. Uh, but these newer ones seem to be pretty difficult to track down. Uh, we had two lined up to take a look at one evening. Both were both either hiding or had disappeared or had sold from these particular dealers, and that was a little frustrating and I think really kind of put a kibosh on some of the excitement of car shopping to my SO. Um, but I think where both of us landed with these newer ones is that they've got a little bit more, I'm going to use the word technological flair or phrase, I guess. Uh, I, I like the, the screen with the physical buttons for the menu options makes a little more sense to me. Uh, it's got a little bit less to go wrong in it compared to a contemporary Civic or uh, Sentra, but Overall, you know, these Corollas are pretty basic cars, and as long as you maintain them, they'll do pretty okay. Uh, I did, however, drive a much newer Corolla, not the newest 2020 model, but a 2017 one, which is the most recent revision uh, compared to the current car. And the 2017s, you know, I think started at a really interesting point for Toyota, where you could definitely tell that they were getting into the technology game. The cars had full touch screens on the dashboard with really badly done capacitive touch buttons on the outside. I hate 
that particular configuration of that screen. Uh, so that's kind of strike one on that car. Two, uh, they made a lot of safety equipment standard on this uh, type of, cr or the Corollas from 2017 to 2019 uh, all came standard with the Toyota Safety Sense stuff. So had a adaptive cruise control, uh, lane keep assist, uh, collision detection and avoidance, uh, pedestrian collision detection, all that kind of stuff. Uh, really great safety equipment that I think should be standard on a lot of cars. Uh, but you can definitely tell, that at least with Toyota, uh, they're kind of, juvenile basic systems and having driven the car you know they work great they work fine uh, they do a good job the dings and dongs and whistles and whatever are kind of annoying with the uh, lane keep assist and things like that but you know it's stuff that you can turn off pretty easily uh, the radar cruise control worked pretty great that was nice um, but my big complaint for that particular car and this kind of gets offset by another point is that it's really wobbly is the term I'm going to use. Uh, and I think part of that it kind of has to do with the size of the car. I think one, uh, the car given its size, it's near enough the same size as my old 95 Camry that I had. Uh, it's a big compact car uh, for its class. It's got a ton of seat and or a ton of space on the rear seat, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, but given its overall size, it feels very light. And because of that weird nature of the car, when it goes driving down roads that are kind of bumpy on the back roads, country roads, it feel felt light almost to the point where it wasn't stable, and that kind of weirded me out. Now, I don't know if it was just this particular car or if it's all the Corollas in general, but it just lacks this feel of solidity that I would have expected for a much newer car. And, uh, you know, maybe we need to drive another one or something like that, but just a really strange experience but I mean overall you know it was a particular car that had a lot of miles uh, it did have some maintenance stuff that I think needed to kind of be touched up it really kind of came down to stuff that I didn't really want to have to deal with uh, and it really kind of sparks the question again for the two of us is is all the extra technology necessary uh, when you're spending you know ten to fourteen thousand dollars and I think the big answer to that right now is unequivocally no uh just because of the potential maintenance nightmares that come on down the line with it uh but would it be nice to have if it's only a grand or two more than a seemingly archaic ancient corolla from the early 2010s eh, maybe it just kind of depends on where you're at so uh we're gonna continue shopping and i'll continue kind of talking about some of our updates but uh Honing in on the Toyota Corolla, still kind of keeping the Prius and the Prius C in the background, I think makes a lot of sense. Uh, I did start thinking about Camrys. I've got a dodgy history with Camrys, especially the newer ones. Uh, if they're not like brand new Camrys, uh, not really a big fan. If they're not Camrys that cut off like in 2005, uh, not really my thing either. Uh, it's, it's just one of those things where there's like a gap of like 15 years with a Camry that I'm just completely uninterested in. And unfortunately, that price range we're talking about is that kind of range of Camry. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, yeah, car shopping. It's fun, especially here at the end of summer. Uh, it, it's just a wild, wild west of prices and comparisons and so much else. So uh, we'll keep you posted as things continue to develop.
Well, that just about wraps up this episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brett Isaac, and you can follow along with me on Twitter at twitter.com slash YSSMAN, and you can follow along with episodes of this show at anchor.fm slash salvage title. Uh, we do post this podcast on a wide variety of podcasting platforms, including Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, so much more. So if you do like what you hear, make sure you hit that subscribe button, uh, share it with your friends. And if you're on a platform that does ask for podcast ratings, if you could give us one, that'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, if, in case you didn't know, this is the car show weeks here in Michigan. Uh, we're coming off of the Woodward Street Dream Cruise this weekend uh, on the east side of the state. Over here on the west side, uh, we've got the Metro Dream Cruise going on in Grand Rapids. Uh, if you're in Michigan, come on out. Uh, I'll be doing some of the things, at least in the Grand Rapids show, next weekend. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's just kind of that reminder that Summer's almost over. Uh, school starts here in Michigan next week, or I guess kind of tomorrow in some places. Uh, that's a weird thought to have, because summer just had such a strong delay here in Michigan. Like, summer didn't really start until, like, June this year, because uh, it was so cold, and then it was so hot, and then it just kind of stopped. And as I'm looking out my window right now, I can see that one of the trees has yellow leaves in it. And that's a very scary identification to be making at the end. Well, I guess it's the middle of August. I was going to say the end of July. That's how bad this summer's been in terms of time frames and everything else. It's just been crazy. So with all that in mind, I hope you enjoy yourself this weekend. I hope you get some time to go take your car for a drive, get some sunshine in. And uh, until next time, guys, we will see you on the next episode of the Salvage Title Podcast. See ya.